Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Great and merciful God, we need you. This world, this creation is in desperate need of you. Your word tells us that we should seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. We're thankful today for Christ, our mediator, who provides access to you for the gift of prayer that is ours, a standing invitation to speak with you. Lord, make our hearts hungry to know you intimately. Give us eyes that we might see you, ears that long to hear you. We pray that you would turn back idle thoughts and selfish desires that only serve to distract us. Fill us with your Spirit. Let us pray according to your word, as it says, that the wicked should forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon You say that your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than ours, your thoughts greater than ours. And as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, without returning, making the earth sprout, bring forth life, Lord, even so shall your word You say that it comes out of your mouth and it will not return empty, but it shall accomplish all that you purpose. Everything that you have designed will succeed. It shall go forth in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will break forth into singing. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn or the briar, it shall make a name for you, an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. Lord, we pray this morning in these moments that you would shape our minds according to this word, to this miraculous, supernatural, living word, that you would fill our desperate desires with abounding hope, that you'd set our hearts aflame with the gospel and with love for the lost. Empower us to turn loose of our thoughts, our ways, our desires, that we may settle for nothing less than being conformed to Christ. Make us like Him today and every day that follows. Make us to display Your glory by Your Spirit, We ask in Christ's name, amen. Psalm 75. You know, I was thinking this week, it's amazing, I know that you have encountered this, but weather is our default conversation, isn't it? When we don't know what else to say or talk about, we talk about the weather. 
Oklahomans used to tell me that uh, if you're not happy about the weather, just wait 20 minutes and it'll change. And I got to thinking about that, and it kind of applies to life in general these days. Everywhere we look, things are constantly evolving and changing. There seems to be turmoil going on all the time. Maybe it's due to technology making the world seem smaller. Maybe we have access to so much information in real time that it is kind of overwhelming. There's clearly a genuine uptick in unrest, hostility, uncertainty in the world in which we live. Our world seems to be in a steady state of tension, polarization, panic even. We have an endless issue of, or list of issues, domestic issues. And all those seem to be pressing in on us, but what's been going on on the other side of the world with Russia's invasion of Ukraine has kind of pushed everything to the back burner. With all these challenges, it can be easy to lose heart. To begin to wonder, where is God in all of this? Why is God allowing the things to unfold and occur as they are? Sometimes it feels, sometimes it seems that He's abandoned us or that He's not interested. Psalm 74 actually sets the tone for Psalm 75. In Psalm 74, there's the discussion about things going on in the world. Unrest, ungodliness, prospering. In fact, the psalmist says, How long, O God, will the enemy be able to scoff and sneer? How long will God's name be reviled? Arise, O God, arise and defend your cause. And Psalm 75 answers the questions posed in Psalm 74. In short, God will settle all accounts perfectly. God is going to settle all accounts. All around us we see turmoil, conflict, and chaos. We want God to vindicate His name. We want Him to assure us that He has everything under control. And the psalmist assures us that this is true. He gives us encouragement in this 75th Psalm. And he does so in four parts. First of all, he says that God is near. It may seem like He's a long way off or that He's disengaged, that He's taken His hands off the wheel and is paying attention to something else, but God is near. It begins with worship, with praise. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. Literally, we cast praise and worship on you. His name is near. His name is near. He has revealed His character, and it's a non-stop revelation. It's an ongoing revelation of who He is. All we need to do is pay attention. We can worship the Lord. We honor Him. He is near. He has given us general revelation, we would call it, which 
He makes Himself known to all people, the ungodly and the godly alike. He does this in many ways. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. Have you thought about creation, about the stars at night, the sun during the day, thinking about all of creation is speaking, declaring the glory of God. Declaring and reminding us that He is still in control, that He is still controlling all things in spite of what we may see in our immediate context. His existence and power can be clearly seen by observing the universe, the order, the vastness, the beauty, the complexity, the precision, the reliability. Even as things change, they remain the same. The seasons come and go. We're already thinking, right? Spring. I see even out the window, trees are putting forth blooms, just like they did last year and the year before. It all speaks to the existence of a powerful and glorious Creator. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. There's no, there's no excuse for saying God is not near. Everything around us screams at us that He is near and worthy of worship. His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen and understood from what has been made. General revelation is the revelation of God to all people at all times and in all places that proves He exists and that He is intelligent, powerful, and transcendent. Then there is special revelation. This is where God speaks through miraculous things, supernatural things. He has made His presence known through physical manifestations in the past. Theophanies, if you will. The cloud the pillar of fire that he used to guide Israel through the wilderness coming out of Egypt would be an example. His filling the temple with his presence, the smoke that indicated a covering, a camouflage for his holiness to protect the people. Not only his physical appearances, but he has shown himself in dreams and visions. And we have the written Word. This Word, when you stop and think about it, written over 1,500 years by 40 different writers, and yet the message is continuous. The message is uniform. The message is traveling the same path, the same tracks, the same design. And most importantly, we have seen Christ Himself, the incarnate Son of God, God taking on flesh to dwell among His fallen creatures that He might redeem them. We recount, the psalmist says, we remember and we celebrate, we retell the wondrous deeds, the wondrous works of God. How He delivered the people from Egyptian bondage. 
His faithful provision for them for 40 years wandering through the wilderness. Every day they ate. Every day they had water. They escaped Pharaoh's pursuit all by the hand of God. And so it is for us today. It's easy for us to give credit to farmers or manufacturers for providing the things that we have. But can we just be honest? It's all come from the hand of God. He is a faithful, a faithful God, making manifest who He is, worthy of glory and honor. Our approach to worship is often influenced by our daily circumstances. If you're facing problems, or you're on top of the world, it impacts how you come into this building to worship, doesn't it? I mean, our moods are impacted and influenced by what's going on in our lives. I'm as guilty as anyone. If I've had a tough week, it's a little tougher to get your mind in a place where you can come in and give due worship to God, isn't it? One of the things we do when we gather together, the Scripture says, is we recount, we remember, we retell, we rehearse all that God has provided for us. And even when you're in those moments where life is a little bit difficult or rocky or bumpy, it does well for us to sit down and remember all that God has done on our behalf and how it changes the way we think. Prepping our hearts and our souls to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what worship is. Remembering, rehearsing, rejoicing, retelling God's greatness. The psalmist is saying that by doing this, it produces gratitude. Now, can I just say today that you cannot worship God without a grateful heart? It's impossible. If you are ungrateful... What does that tell us? It tells us that we are kind of self-consumed, aren't we? We're self-obsessed. We're focusing on something that we're resentful toward God for not giving us. I don't have this, so it kind of clouds the heart. It clouds the soul, and we're not able to worship properly. So it's important for us to kindle afresh the gratitude, the thanksgiving of all that God has provided graciously. And it fuels our worship for Him. The world tells us all the things we don't have. The world wants to corrupt. The world wants to disrupt our thinking. Worship reorients, realigns our hearts toward God so that we might worship Him genuinely. God is near, says the psalmist. In spite of what you may see unfolding around you in the everyday circumstances, God is near. And the evidence is overwhelming. Secondly, he says, God speaks. Here we hear the Lord speaking directly. He quotes Him. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. God declares His sovereignty. He says here, I have all these matters in hand. I have them all under control. There's no need for you to be concerned. But that's hard, isn't it? Isn't that difficult? It's hard to believe that God's in control when things aren't going the way I want them to go. 
But when you can rehearse this and recount that God has always been faithful to all His people through all time and promises to continue to do so. So when I look ahead and I'm looking at the unknown or things that appear to be going in a direction that are, that, that's not comfortable, I can rest in the fact that God has it under control. I can trust Him. He's proven Himself in the past. He will show Himself again in the future. He says, I will judge. I will declare right from wrong. I will declare punishment and blessing. His message is twofold here. He gives comfort to his people and he gives a warning to the ungodly. His judgment is perfect. It's fair. Not according to our standard of fairness. We don't really understand fair. If we were being fair, then God should judge and destroy everything if we're being fair but we don't want fairness do we i want mercy i want grace what is fair or equitable judgment according to god's standard the lord judges in righteousness he says he has perfect understanding not just the facts but he has all the motives you know, um, there, there's an adage that goes with sports, a sporting event, that sometimes the referee will uh, throw a penalty flag because he saw a player do something to another player that's illegal. He may have taken a swing at him or a poke at him or hit him. And lots of times what happens is that player is just responding to something the other player did to him first. And the joke is the referee always sees the second guy, he doesn't see the first guy. Right? This guy is just reacting to something that he was provoked by the first guy's action. But the referee always catches the guy that's reacting, not the guy that started it. But God catches everybody. Always. It happens with your children, doesn't it? Your grandchildren. There's always one who's good at instigating the others. Sowing the unrest, creating the tension, provoking the others. And you don't catch that one, but you know what's going on, right? God knows it all. He knows completely. You see, He sees into the depths of the soul. He knows the motives as well as the actions. And He says, it will all be evaluated according to my righteous standard. My righteous standard. When the earth and the inhabitants totters away, melts away when it sways and swerves like it is today it seems to be when the ungodly tyrants unleash ruthless aggression when natural disasters bring pain and suffering when violence harms perpetrators and bystanders alike when the whole world seems to shake with unrest and uncertainty it is I, says the Lord, who keeps steady its pillars, its foundation. It is I who keeps things in control. It is I who keeps it from careening into destruction. It may feel like it's going to implode, but God's hand never leaves the controls. And He gives words of warning to the ungodly. Don't boast, He says. Do not lift up your horn. Do not speak with arrogance. Don't be prideful. He is addressing the proud and the wicked. To be prideful is to be wicked, the Scripture tells us, and to be wicked is to be prideful. There's an illustration, many of them in Scripture. One that was on my mind this week 
comes in Acts, Acts chapter 12. There's a story of Herod, King Herod. And he was um, angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. And historians tell us that these things may have been some kind of shimmering material, some kind of something that was uh, really lavish. And when he stood there in the sunlight, that he, he would look like the sun itself. He was a reflection, like a mirror reflecting the sun's light. And the people were shouting. They were shouting at him and saying, The voice of a God. And not of a man. And he was swelled with pride. He was swelled up with good feelings about himself. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Just like that. One moment he's on the world stage. One moment he is, he is everything over all things in his own mind. And in all appearances. And because he is so prideful and arrogant, God struck him down immediately. In that moment, we see God vindicate his glory instantaneously. He says, this is going to happen eternally. Not always instantly, but certainly eternally. History is littered with the bones of the proud and the arrogant. For a time, for a season, they have prominence, they have fame, they have prosperity, they have power. For a time, for a season, they appear to have supremacy. But only Yahweh is sovereign. Only Yahweh is supreme. He is absolutely holy, eternally sovereign. And thirdly, the psalmist says, He settles accounts perfectly. God settles accounts perfectly. Notice what he says. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. Man claims that he is the master of his life. Even this world. Man wants to believe that he's in charge. Lifting up and putting down. Only God has the power to raise up and to put down, to suppress. God exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. This reminds us of Hannah's song. If you read in 1 Samuel 2, she uses some of the same terminology. Mary used the same terminology in her song in Luke chapter 1. Literally, what the psalmist is saying is you can go as far as the place where the sun rises. You can go as far as the place where the sun sets. You can plunge into the depths of the wilderness. Wherever you go, you'll not find help. You'll not find those who can resolve the situation. You'll not find anyone with the power to truly lift up or to put down. You have to look to the heavens. You have to look to the Lord. He and He alone has this supreme power. Only He, only He can judge. The world may appear to be rocking along in fatalistic fashion. It may seem that man can make his own way. It may seem confusing that the ungodly continue to prosper and the humble continue to suffer. But it's all temporary. It's all temporary. It's passing away. Yahweh is on the throne and He is bringing about His purposes. 
and eternally will set the matter straight. God's judgment is described here as a cup, a cup of wine. It's particularly described as wine that is foaming. This speaks to adding, adding spices in that, that strengthen it, that agitate it and stir it. In other words, God has put everything into this cup. There's nothing that's overlooked. There's nothing that's ignored. There's nothing that any ungodly gets away with. It's all in there. And it's foaming. And the wicked, the ungodly, will be forced to drink it down to the final dregs, to the last drop. To the last drop. That's an ominous picture. But for those who hear the gospel and believe on Christ. You see, when He went to the cross, He went to the cross and stood in your place, and there He drank the wrath of God. He drank the final drops. He exhausted all of the judgment of God on the behalf of those who put their trust in Him, those who repent of sin and believe on Him. He has drank every last drop and exhausted the wrath of God. This is good news, is it not? Good news for all of us. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. And finally, the psalmist says, God will be worshipped forever. But I will declare it forever, he says. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Remember, recount, rehearse God's faithfulness, greatness, His goodness as we retell how God has demonstrated righteousness and goodness. We are encouraged to trust that He will continue to do so. He will continue to be good. He will continue to manifest His righteousness. I will declare it forever. The things unfolding around us every day are important. What's going on in Ukraine right now is important. What's going on in the cities around America today, it's important. But it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And God knows more than you and I. He knows perfectly. He knows intimately, intricately, all the complexities. He knows what's obvious and He knows what's not obvious. And He says, I am working my purposes, my plans God is moving, through, moving us through this broken world to a new creation where we will, celebrate, we will celebrate His faithfulness and righteousness forever. There'll be no more questions about why doesn't this happen and why doesn't that happen. We will see clearly how God has worked to display His glory to bring us all the way home. The psalmist says, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. This reminds us of God's incredible promise, His promise to Abraham, to Abraham's descendants, of which we spiritually are descendants of Abraham. We are the true family of God. These promises, He doesn't, he doesn't go back on His promises. Redemption, covenant, adoption. God is working to bless all who will believe on Him. And we are beneficiaries of the promise. Wickedness will soon be no more. Won't that be a great day? 
No more cruelty, no more sin, no more disobedience, no more conflict. Christ has already defeated sin, death, and hell. And we're waiting. We're waiting for the full bloom, the full blossom of His new creation that He's already achieved with His death, burial, and resurrection. All the wicked will be cut off, put down, humbled, and judged righteously. All that is right and glorious and godly will be honored. This is what's coming. As we look around the world today, we, we use this to inform our praying. How we pray for those who are on the front lines facing the ungodly, the unrighteous. That which appears to be unfair. That which seems that God has abandoned. And we remind ourselves that God has not abandoned. That God has not left the control room. That God is much aware. And that there's purpose and there's plans in all that He's doing. And He is bringing about His divine will. Working toward a new creation. And it is assured What Christ did on the cross and through His victorious resurrection affirms us without any doubt that God is working His plans to perfection. Amen and amen. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, Your Word says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore. Oh Father, we ask that today you would fill our hearts with such confidence. We pray, Lord, for those that are in such egregious circumstances that are even under the threat of life, death, suffering that's much more intense and severe than, than we are facing We pray that Your presence, Your power, Your assurance, Your Word might might encourage them today. And that, Lord, each of us might be fueled in our own gratitude of knowing that You are on the throne. And we can rest and be comforted and have peace even as the world lurches and careens seemingly toward destruction. But it's not going to happen. You're going to bring a new creation, a new world, a new order, a new precision. Make it so, we pray. In the meantime, Lord, as we wait upon you to bring this into fruition, that you would strengthen our hearts and calm our fears and comfort our minds and souls, that we might continue to trust in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.